All right, everybody, talk about it outdoors live in the Wilson studio. I am your host, Alex DeBoard. As always, Nick Wilson joining me here, and we've got a fun one for you tonight. This has been a long-awaited arrival of a man we cannot wait for you to hear all about where he came from and where he's headed next. Y'all kick it up with us, pull up a chair, and set a while. Might have had that mic gain up a little bit higher than I usually do, Nick. Oh, we got a rock star. <laughs> oh, it is a rock star night for us, and, and I'm not going to waste any time getting right into this because, Nicholas, tonight we are joined by someone you and I grew up knowing as an icon in the hunting industry. And, uh, you know, from su- uh, simple beginnings right here in our home state of Georgia, growing up just over the, the hill in Douglasville, um, he paved a way for himself by never changing his positive, charismatic, and humble approach uh, on life. Um, his warming and affectionate nature, paired with an amazing God-given talent in archery, surely would warm the spirits of any outdoorsman. He was on the archery pro circuit, winning the 1991 ASA World Championship, winning multiple state titles as well along the way. His first appearance with Realtree on camera came in Monster Bucks 10, and alongside Jeff Foxworthy, his alternate persona was born. Countless times he has given us good old boys in Georgia the comfort knowing if you believe in yourself and the good Lord, anything is possible. It goes without saying how thankful we are to be able to welcome tonight to talk about it outdoors, Travis T-Bone Turner. Oh, man, dude, that, that's like that's like an inaugural speech, man. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure you can live up to it. <laughs> yeah, I should have cleaned my glasses before I did that one, man. That's awesome. Well, Travis, you know, we, uh, we began a conversation on this podcast back in November when we started of a list of names of who the people we would hope to get on the show one day. And, you know, your name was right at the top of the list as being a Georgia guy and uh, what you've been able to do in the hunting industry and, and throughout your career. It, it's It's been amazing to us to see how you can walk up to you at any point after all these years of being on camera, TV, and everything you've done. You're still that guy that you walk right up to and you'll always take time to speak to people, take a picture with them or whatever. And that to me has been the one thing we we agreed on that we wanted to have you on for more than anything. So, well, I, I appreciate that, guys. And uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, me, Michael, and Nick, we all feel the same way. I mean, uh, we're no different than any other redneck out there that's hunting and fishing. We just love it. And the only difference is, is you know, for the last twenty plus years, we've just had a camera in our face. We're just we don't like the title of you know everybody says pro hunter. We don't like that at all. We we I, I guess if you have to have a title, maybe an outdoor entertainer, half the folks that are watching the show are probably way better hunters than we are. But, uh, but, but, you know, we get a camera in our face and we hope that folks would, uh, at the end of the show would like to share camp with us. So I appreciate you saying those kind words, but yeah, I try to make my mom and grandma proud and everything. Yes. You just no different. You just put a pants on just like everybody else. Mine are a little bigger than most, but (laughs) you put your pants on the same way. Well, and, and you know, going going back to when you first got into archery, and we always try to take it back to the beginning of things, and, and you know, when you first got into hunting, and who was that one person that really got you started as a, as a kid into hunting? Well, as a as a kid, it, it naturally would be my dad, and uh, you know, like so many people, and my uncle, and then uh, of course, I, I grew up in Villarica, actually. And it was kind of the perfect way to grow up. Um, actually, I'm from Ohio. We moved down here when we, when I was five. Okay. But when we got uh, got down here, we lived in a neighborhood. But it was a uh, there was 13 houses on a cul-de-sac. But yet it was in the middle of nowhere. So you know we had 
motorcycles. And back then, you know, you didn't really have to worry about property lines and stuff. You just kind of hit the woods and went after it. And, uh, it was absolutely the great place, place to grow up. So between, uh, you know, the ki- other kids in the neighborhood, we kind of grew up together and all of our dads hunted and, and, uh, my uncle hunted. So that, that's how I got my, uh, love for, for hunting and, um, fishing, of course. Yeah. Now, and, and I heard you say before that squirrel hunting's really where you got your start at, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. Well, of course, way back then I'm telling on my age, but, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of deer, you know, right. way back, way back then. And my dad, you know, I mean, like if anybody on the neighborhood got a deer, it was like, oh man, we're going to have a parade next week because somebody killed a deer. <laughs> but, uh, it, it, it was, it was kind of tough. So, uh, squirrel hunting was something that we could do after school. And man, just, I, I mean, it takes me back this time of year, you know, like, uh, where we were at, there was a huge substation. So you could just hear it. It's probably about a quarter to half mile away, but you can hear it buzzing the whole time. Just, you know, how a substation oh, yeah. does. But whenever I hear that and, you know, a pocket full of Halloween candy, you know, we, you go by and you, you know, mom would have Halloween candy out, you know, a couple of weeks before, uh, uh, Halloween comes by and you, my dad had picked me up at school. We'd go to the woods and sit on a log and still hunt a little bit for some squirrels. And man, I, I, I couldn't get enough of it. And then of course, uh, that, that bled over into deer hunting as I got into my teenage years. And it really didn't start bow hunting for you till you got a little bit older, wasn't it? Yeah, I wasn't, uh, I mean, I had a bow, my, my dad, uh, my dad had bought me a bow for good grades when I was 10 or 11 years old. And Probably that's the last time I made good grades, I'd say. But, <laughs> but uh, you remember I, your first bow? Yeah, I do. I still got it. It's downstairs. It's a um, it's a, it's an old Indian bow. It's a solid uh, fiberglass from one end to the other, and I've actually turned it into a bow fishing bow years ago. But I've still got it. It was a forty-five pound recurve, and that's just too much for a ten or eleven-year-old. And I, you know, my dad didn't know no better. He just got me a bow and. I mean, I'd bend the string a little bit and watch an arrow fly, but, you know, after I hit my arm a couple of times, I put it down and it kind of had a bad experience in it. So I never even considered bow hunting again until I got out of high school and me and some buddies of mine, um, uh, they talked me into doing it. Well, I was more into fishing, squirrel hunting and fishing is really all I did through school. And then, uh, when I was 19, uh, I got in a hunting club with them and I was waiting for gun season to come in and they said, well, look, we're going to be shooting our bows all summer. We're not going to be fishing anymore. You, you go ahead and get your bow. And I'm like, I was like, you know, you go through a lot of changes. I was like, man, I can't even pull a 45 pound recurve. Now there's a lot of difference between an 11 year old and a 19 year old. Right. I mean, I, I played football in high school and, you know, I was, you know, benching in the high two hundreds and I, but, but still my head was like, ain't no way I can pull a 45 pound recurve. Didn't even want to try it. Just, you know, it was a bad experience. So, they taught me into buying a bow. I was buying a three or four hundred dollars. It was a PSE Thunderflight. We was at Gable Sporting Goods in Douglasville. Mm-hmm. And we was up there. And while we were up there, my buddies was talking to a guy that owned the local archery range in town. And they were having a tournament that weekend. Well, I was more focused on buying this bow and and I was worried, had anxiety about I was gonna have to pull this bow back in front of people and they were gonna laugh at me. It was an eighty pound bow, and the guy <laughs> backed it off way backed it way off to sixty-four pounds. And he said, that's as low as I can take it. And I'm like, all right, well, we'll just leave it right there. And he says, well, I need you to pull it back so that you can check your peep sight. And I said, just tie it in where you think it needs to be. <laughs> I would not pull the bow back. I wouldn't even put, try to pull the bow back in the store. So then we left. It was Wednesday night. And that, that tournament was going to be Sunday. I wasn't going to go. I, I had no plans because I was just buying this bow. Mm-hmm. So I get home, and I had put off trying bow hunting for so long because – 
I didn't think I could pull the bow or, you know, just, I was anti-bow. You know, I was all for deer hunting, but I was like, eh, I'm anti-bow. So I'm still living at home, 19 years old. I go up in my room and I'm like, all right, here we go. I got to try to pull this thing. I done spent 300 something dollars. If I can't pull a bow back, I mean, that, what a waste. So I said, here we go. One, two, three. Boom. And I about ripped the wheels off. <laughs> and it was just like a wave that went over me. I was like, oh my gosh. I'm like, that was so easy. So, uh, needless to say, um, the next day we shot and shot. I got my bow sighted in. We shot all day, Thursday afternoon after work, Friday. Uh, Saturday and then Saturday night it got dark on us and they said you're gonna go over to that tournament with us tomorrow and I said I said heck no man I ain't on the boat five <laughs> days I ain't going to no tournament and they said oh come on we ain't never shot no tournament either so we went and back then when I was thinking of an archery tournament a 3d tournament I always thought y- you guys too if you if, if anybody's listening is never you think of a hundred guys on the line wearing mm-hmm. white white clothes you know like what you'd see in an encyclopedia I didn't realize what an archery tournament was, but then when we get there, you got five or six people and you go out through the woods and you're shooting it. Back then, we didn't even have 3D targets. We were shooting at paper targets on Excelsior bells. So we're going through the woods shooting all these Excelsior bells and uh, the paper targets. And, uh, um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm beating the guys that I'm with. I'm like, man, this I'm doing pretty good. And we get done and there were six of us that started and got done and I, I beat all my buddies. I was like, man, that was awesome. I still had arrows left and I beat all my buddies and you turn your scorecards in and there was 30 something people in the class and it was a novice beginner class, you know, nothing probably over 30 yard shot, right. but I won the whole thing on the bow five days and I won the whole <laughs> thing for the novice division, you know, the beginning division. So needless to say that that kind of created a monster there. I, I could not get enough of tournament archery and I couldn't get enough of of bow hunting and uh shortly you know a few months later that was in the summertime i I killed my first deer ever with a bow it was a big old doe uh out there in social circle was with the club we was in so yeah that's how i got my my teeth and ever since then every tournament that come up i I just couldn't get enough of it and that was in 1988 and i uh won my first state championship in 90 and then actually won the world championship in 91 so yeah, I, I just I couldn't get enough of it. The bow and arrow has been so good to me, and even to this day, I still shoot a lot. And I got a shop in my basement, and still work on forty or fifty bows a year. So, uh, yeah, archery has been very, very good to me. Casa de Bone, I know you you call it the, the <laughs> down in the basement. You do all your videos there, and I, I tell you something, you started doing as of late that's been so cool to see is the the little pro tips. Yep. And yeah. watching the one that struck me more than anything was that arrow squeak. In the oh, file. that was mine too. I sat there and I was like, I've had it. When you talked about that file, I was like, oh my God, right my that- bow's doing that exact same thing right now. And I'm out there in the garage at 10 o'clock at night trying to find a chainsaw. People file. don't realize when you get out there in the woods, you're sitting up there in that stand and one comes up, you pull back. Yep. You think Charlie Daniels showed up. <laughs> yeah, you don't even think nothing about it when you're shooting with you your don't. buddies. Where everybody's talking and making noise and you don't really even hear it, but. You get out there when it's uh, deer 30, like 15 minutes before dark, man, and there ain't no nothing but a cricket chirping and maybe a cardinal, uh, and it gets noisy. So, now I've been through that. I'm like, that 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 felt on there is in good shape. There's something's got to give. So, clean your air and then take a little rat tail file and get them fuzzies back up, and you're good to go. That's awesome. That's you know, a- and, and I said I said that one. I'm sorry, guys. I, I said that one time, like, I just assume, like, I've done tips kind of off and on between Realtree, Hoyt, Bone Collector, uh, you know, all through these years. But I keep forgetting that, man, it's been 20-something years, and some of that stuff gets lost in the shuffle. And 
through social media, you know, a lot of new people come on and they never, you know, find that stuff. So, and, and I just assume that I, I guess, I, I don't know, maybe a little being humble or whatever. I just assume that a lot of guys already know those kind of things. And, and I, I, you know, I'm like, nah, I ain't doing that. That's stupid. But then I get so much feedback. I'm like, well, if you know it, you know it. If you don't know it, then some, you know, it may help. So I, I enjoy doing them and, uh, I've been trying to do a lot more of them lately. I, I think a lot of people like them. So yeah, they do. I've 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 thoroughly enjoyed what you had to say. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. I do. Hey, I want to spin back real quick. We'll get back on archery in a second, but you said something about hunting in social circle, and yeah. we've we've had several guests on here. Do you think you guys probably camped back then and probably hung out around camp, around a fire, oh, yeah. and come back to camp and talk? And uh, we were talking about how much that is lost nowadays because people are. I don't know, just times have changed and people don't get out of school early and go camping. I mean, there's a select few, but not like it was when we were growing up or for you back in this, those days. Do you think that's lost and, and do you miss that kind of, you, do you miss that kind of hunting? I do. I do um, miss the, you know, I wouldn't change anything about how I grew up because a lot of times, I mean, I hunted a lot of WMAs. I mean, we lived in Villarica and I went to Douglas County School Systems, but we hunted at Paulden Forest. We hunted at Sheffield. I mean, I hunted at Paulden Forest before there was a Sheffield. So okay. I got to see Sheffield come into play and um, hunted up there, killed a few turkeys up there before, killed, you know, a couple of does. And, you know, um, Cedar Creek, we used to go to Cedar Creek, Piedmont Wildlife uh, Management, you know, the National Refuge. Um, then uh, we hunted at um, um west point management area we we used to come down and hunt the core property i mean for 15 dollars, we used to get a permit and we'd hunt all the way around the lake and we'd camp out and uh you know i had a camper on the back of my truck so I used to sleep in the back of my truck a, a little ford ranger with no air conditioning i'd sleep in the back <laughs> of that thing and yeah i mean the camping was yeah, a, the camping was the the plus side of it when i was a young kid oh Spe- yeah especially absolutely. if it was if it was rifle season and people were shooting you're excited to get back to see what was what was down but yeah yeah back then th- th- honestly that's what would get me down is because you know we didn't have phones to text each other that's and right. see what's going on i'd be like man it's 9 30 i'm like <laughs> man i bet they're already back i bet somebody done killed something i'll slide on back there and see what then you then you don't n- never want to be the first one back because then everybody gives you fits man you didn't you got out of the woods too early <laughs> but uh yeah all that all that camaraderie and fellowship and playing pranks and sitting around you know listening to uh the the georgia bulldogs play on saturday on the you know on the the radio and then plus the always uh the playoffs the major league baseball playoffs and the world series i can remember listening to them every night couldn't wait back we we cook out and have a big pot of chili and sit around listening to the baseball game uh, around a fire at cedar creek man it was awesome that's crazy. We always hear him talk about Cedar Creek like that because we've hunted there before ourselves. Did you have one of those? Um, did you have? Did you guys ever have one of those one person that come to camp just for uh, the alcohol? Oh Lord, yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't yeah. even. He wouldn't even go sit in the woods, would he? No, no, no. He, he, he basically. Uh, we, we'd make him cook. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, and I'm glad to have that guy. That's right. And I, I'm, glad, I'm glad that guy's there because I mean, I'm I'm gonna go sit in a tree. That's the guy. He's so, a, yeah. He was the best one to sit around in the afternoons with and just chit chat with. Oh yeah, never know what never know what she's gonna learn. <laughs> yeah, we was in a club down in uh, Stewart County. Actually, uh, Todd Mobley. We was talking about Todd Mobley and uh, Lonnie Fields. We we all hunted together down there, 
in Stewart County. And there was two old fellers in there and we'd, we'd go down there bow hunting and mo- mo- it's a huge club. And most all the other people that was hunting in the club were just rifle hunters and they'd come down and work during bow season to get things ready. But we were bow hunting and uh, he told me I was down there by myself that weekend and had a little shack that we had built for, uh, for and I was proud of that because I still living at home. That little 14 by 14 shack was my house. That's I mean, right. I was like, yeah, hey man, I got me a hot plate for this weekend and <laughs> cooking, up, cooking up soup and stuff on there. And the guys in camp, the older guys, they said, man, he says, listen, there's a lot of armadillos down there. And that was, that was about as far north as they was as in Stewart County. And he said, he said, listen, don't be shooting them armadillos with that bow. Your, your bow ain't going to go through that shell on that armadillo. And that was my first, you know, time of hunting or seeing an armadillo. And this, I'm telling you, this is way back in the early 90s. I mean, a long time ago. And I'm like, no, it ain't stopping. my. I mean, and I, they made me think that it was uh, that my arrow would not go through that armadillo. So I had to prove them wrong. I walked back. My chest was all puffed out. Had that, arm, had that armadillo on a skewer. I just couldn't wait to show them old guys that my bow will go through the armadillo. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Yeah, I was talking to Glenn earlier, and he he told me to ask you if you remember the time that y'all swam across a lake, uh, and he was on your back. He said you look like a bobber, straight up yep. and down, going across that lake. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We and coon hunting, man. We we had some escapades coon hunting, and it was like uh, we'd got stuck on the other side of the swamp, and you know you ha- you kind of get turned around if you've ever coon hunted in the dark, you know, because mm-hmm. you're just following the dogs, and then you kind of like all right, it's over. Like, well, where's the truck? And then we figured out where the truck was, but we was going to have to go all the way around the swamp or we was going to go through the swamp. And I said, boys, my big butt ain't walking that far. I'm going through the swamp. So man, I parted the water like Moses. I was going through the swamp. I said, they were right behind me. So, you know, if there was any water moccasins or anything, man, they, I bet they got the heck out of Dodge. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, we had some good times. Well, and I think that's the one thing with Bone Collector, what you, Nick, and Michael have been able to do is is show those camp atmospheres. And, and, and you know, the, the cast of characters around you have surely changed. You've got a lot of, you know, other hunters that are in the public eye around you now. But, you, you know, you go out to, to, to uh, the West with Nick and hunt with the, um, I'm, I'm not sure what Indian tribe that is. I don't want to, the Navajo Nation. Yeah, yeah. And you guys go out there, and what y'all do with those kids out there, and we brought this up with Nick, that's that's the one thing that just brings it all back home for everybody that watches the show and how you guys are able to do that. And I think that you keep your roots very grounded, and I think that's what makes that show work so well. And well, we appreciate when we When we come up with it and we started the show, that's what we wanted because me, Michael, and Nick, we all come from humble beginnings, and we all you know cut our teeth the same way we – we all didn't have two nickels to rub together, you know, our whole life. So, you know, we appreciate the, the, the simple things in the country living. And we wanted to make sure that, you know, it's sad to say, but a lot of times in the outdoor entertainment, you know, hunting can be, if, if some, you know, it can be, unfortunately a macho sport, you know, you got that guy that pounds his chest and I do this and I do this and you should hunt like this and look at the deer I kill and, and, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, sometimes it's that way and it come. and sometimes the guys that have the TV shows or people that have the TV shows, they let that bleed through, you know, almost, I see it in seminars a lot, you know, they'll talk down to the audience or, you know, I don't want that. I, I want every, just like we talked about a campfire situation. I want it to be, I even hate standing on a stage, to be honest with you. I'd rather sit down on the edge of that stage or 
a chair and basically form a, if it's two or three, 400 people, let's just form us a little campfire right here. And at the end of it, you know, you'll share a story. We'll share a story. We'll laugh about some stuff, but it's just like we, we, uh, shared camp together and we want our show to feel that way. And, and hopefully like what you're saying, people get that. I mean, it's a given. We all want to kill a big deer. You don't That's have right. to say that you want to get kill a big deer, but you know, at the end of the day, we've made a pretty good living out of killing some mediocre deer, you know? And, uh, the old gorger, the old gorger buck. That wasn't a giant, but boy, buck. he was a he was a hammer. I remember watching that, that one. That old goity, man. We had to put him down. That's right. First come, first serve. <laughs> oh, that was a, that was one of those hunts that you're like, look, Bone Bone ain't scared to go out there and shoot a shoot a mediocre deer and put him down. I, I'm gonna go shoot a mediocre deer too. That's exactly right. And and let's not forget about the ladies, the slick heads and the freezer queens. <laughs> there you Dude, go. I've seen you up there on them. I don't remember which show it was. You was up there in Pennsylvania in those people's backyards. I guess they were wanting some of them does. Dude, you were taking yeah. them out. <laughs> Off the oh, swing that, set. Hey, that was, that's one of our most popular shows. Uh, yeah. People, Because everybody can relate to that. That's, that's right. right. You know, everybody can. That's right. Yeah, every, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I like to see, you know, uh, I'm, I guess I'm calling out Lee Lakoski. I like to see him shoot some big deer, but, man, that'd be career suicide if he went to New Jersey and shot a bunch of does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would. It would. <laughs> It would, and and but the thing about it is, and that's what we you know we keep going back to is how calm you keep the camaraderie together, and you keep it very basic so people can enjoy it. But at the end of the day, just like you said, Nick and I, Cody, if he's here with us, any of our buddies, we want to kill the biggest deer out there. Yeah. But if a good eight pointer walks out up here in North Georgia, don't think oh yeah. Alex ain't flinging one at it. Oh, I know it, and think about it. I mean, I, I put myself. Yeah, we get to hunt more than most folks because that's what we're doing for a living. But you know, the guy Billy Joe Lunch Bucket that's working forty to fifty hours a week every every week, and he's only getting maybe a Friday afternoon and a Saturday. Mama wants him home by lunch on Sunday because <laughs> right. they got to do some things. Who, who am I on TV or on social media to tell him? You need to let that deer walk, son. He needs to be eight years old. And you, I'm like, dude, you've done spent a third of your paycheck hitting it from your wife, not even took her out to catfish dinner on Friday night, just so you can go into the woods for a day and a half. Man, you you let it rip on that That's freezer right. queen. Let her have it. That's right. Absolutely. And then ride it around till the wheels fall off, too. That, yeah. That's what we need. We need that to come back, guys. Yep, and that's the thing that we've we've talked about a lot with social media. When we started this podcast, we made it clear that we're not going to engage any negativity. We're going to blow that stuff out of the water. You put a negative comment on something we do, sorry it's getting deleted. We're not arguing it. We're not engaging it. And if you nope. put somebody down on here, you're just not going to be a part of what we're doing because yep. you can ruin someone's entire hunting career if their first deer is a small buck and somebody pops off one bad comment about that, it ruins their, it could take them where they don't even want to ever hunt again. And who is anyone to judge on that? Exactly. Exactly. If it tripped your trigger and, and made you happy, yep. you should shoot it as long as it's legal. That's right. If you've done it by legal manners, by all means, man, absolutely. Be proud of it. And, and each neighbor down the street, or everybody at social media or whatever should raise him up. Absolutely. I can't stand when someone shoots a deer, they thought enough of it, shoot a deer, and then like on TV or, or whatever, and like, hey, well, it's not the deer I really thought it was. I wished it was bigger, but, you know, hey. You know, and they start making excuses. Don't even make an excuse. That's right. You shot him. Be proud I mean, of it. Absolutely be proud of it. Absolutely. 
Well, so, you know, you, you mentioned in that, and, and I want to take it back, and we went on the archery tour and, and learned where you were there. You opened up a, an archery shop is really where you got to meet the, the Realtree guys and started working on their bows. Monster Bucks 10, when, when David Blanton, you had pitched an idea, I believe, to him about doing something, yeah. and, and they invited you to that. What kind of what kind of feeling was that to a, just a good old Georgia boy at that moment? Okay. Yeah, well, well uh, Glenn Garner was a cameraman for them, as well as David Blanton, and they both live here in LaGrange, so we lived together, and I had that, lived in, in the same town, and I had my store, so at my store, you know, they'd come by, and I'd, I'd been working on their bows for two or three years, and and because I had a background in tournaments, uh, we would go set their little tournaments when they'd film the Monster Bucks, and I thought, man, this is, you know, hey, I'm getting to work on the bows that are going all across the country, killing these deer, and you know, David would call us, you know, and send us pictures right away whenever they kill one back then. And I mean, I'd made it. I was getting to shoot tournaments going around the country. I had my own little outdoor store and an archery shop and I was getting to work behind the scenes there. And then, you know, each year they'd say, you know, we need to do something different. What do you think, T-Bone? And, and well, it wasn't T-Bone then. I wasn't even never been called T-Bone till then. So uh, he said, what do you think, Trav? And I said, well, let's set this target, this target. And then I, I pitched them the idea. I said, you, you should get, because uh, Incomplete Deer Hunter was so popular, Jeff Foxworthy and the other guy is named Shane, Willie and Billy. You should get them to play, uh, you know, shoot against y'all. And we, whether it's trick photography or not, just let them just absolutely wipe the course up with you guys. You know, even if, it, if, it, if you have to fake it, just let them just wear you guys out, and you know, like a, like a pool shark, but it'd be an archery shark. They said, man, that's a great idea. Let's see if Jeff's good, good for it. Well, Jeff was for it, but Shane, the other guy, he, he really is not a hunter. He's not against hunting. He just mm-hmm. never has hunted or anything. And he goes, I, I don't really care to do that. Well, David and them said, well, let's get T-Bone to do I mean, let's get Travis to do that. So he came to me and said, you know, we want you to play a character. You think you can come up with something, you know, hiccified? And I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> I went up to the truck stop right here in, in Hoganville. There, there was a truck stop long before there was a Loves up here. And they had them Bubba Teeth behind the counter, three ninety nine. <laughs> I bought me some Bubba Teeth behind the counter. Had a big long floppy hat. I put together and and took an old whitetail hunter because back then anybody that was thirty five years or older had shot a whitetail hunter because there was only about six bows made back in the late eighties and I mean the early eighties and late seventies. So I put it together and I pitched it to him. I said, "What do you think about this?" And he said, "Oh, that that is awesome." He goes, "We're going to go with it." Jeff was loving it, and I was like man, here's my 15 minutes of fame. I said, I've, I've done pretty good shooting a bow, but I'm fixing to be on national television, man. Even if it's make my mama proud with these bubba teeth. So, uh, so with that said, we filmed it. And just before we started filming, they said, what are we going to call you? We need you to have a hick name. You know, we got Willie and Billy and we can't call you Travis. That's just not hickified enough. And he said, I I threw it out there. I said, what about T-bone? I said, that's short, easy to remember. And Yep, T-Bone it is. I figured this is a one-and-done type thing. I figured <laughs> we're going to do this one time. This is 1999, and that's it. I'm like, well, at least I, you know, I got one one minute in fame. And, man, it went over like gangbusters. Everybody loved it. They liked, they liked the comedy relief. They loved the breaking the monotony up of just hunt after hunt. And it seemed like everybody was playing it in their deer camps. And, you know, uh, the women liked it, and the kids liked it, and there was comedy involved, and Foxworthy was involved, and, Man, it, it, it kind of snowballed from there, and they just kept asking me to do more. And me, Michael, and Nick were became really good friends through Realtree. And, uh, you know, we're all about the same age and very similar. And that's when we started Bone Collector in 2007 and 2008. So 
yeah, it's, it's crazy how uh, my career path has went and how doors would open and such, but it wasn't like, you know, 25 years ago, I said, man, I'm going to be on TV one day. I had, if you would have asked me in 1998, if I was going to be on TV, I'm like, no, I'm going to sit here and fletch airs and work on people's bows probably the rest of my life. And that's it. But, uh, I, I mean, I still do that, but nonetheless, it's taking advantage of, uh, doors that have opened and man, what a ride it's been. You still got Sadie? Got her. Yeah. <laughs> yep. She's got a cracked limb, but she still, she, you can, you can still shoot her. You just got to you got a you got a baby or talk to her nice. She she got a few shots left in her. <laughs> that was the that was the bow that T Bone shot. It had a had a yeah. fishing reel on the front of it and everything. And I've I've heard you made mention that before that Sadie, that's your favorite bow uh, that you've ever had because of where it started from for you. Oh yeah. Yep, absolutely cuz man, it, it wouldn't have wouldn't have been here. So yeah, big 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 thanks to David Blanton, you know, for you know, taking a chance and believing in me. And, you know, I guess we've always got along and always looked after each other. And, you know, even Realtree, even though, you know, uh, you know, we, we're, we're bone collector and that's our own show and such, but man, we still believe Realtree and we still do so much with them. You know, a lot of people think that we're kind of out on our own, but that's not, I mean, we're still just as tight as a tick with Realtree as we ever have been. Is it, is it, does it go without saying that David Blanton is as good-hearted a man that he pursue per, that he personifies on TV uh, in real life? He is. He is basically the Mister Rogers of the hunting industry. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. I had never thought about yeah. it that way, but that's exactly yeah. a great way to put it. And he's on a tear right now, man. He he actually drove out into the West, and he is man. He is. He is cyanide on some critters out there right now. That's what I, I saw. Somebody had commented on social media that he had got. I think it was Nate Hosey had commented, man, you're on a riff already. Keep it up. It's going to be a great year. He's going to have him a T-bone year. Yo, yeah, I, I ain't even been in the woods. I ain't been on a trip yet or nothing. So I'm I'm not even going on my first trip till in October. So um, Is that to Kansas? I, yeah, I'll be going to Oklahoma and Kansas. Yep. So I'll be going out there. Actually, it opened up Monday here and I'm – uh, the trail cameras are just telling me that I'm stupid for not being there right now. Cause I mean, there are two in Kansas right now. Yes, yeah. sir. I mean, a friend of ours, he dropped one today. Wasn't it? Uh, Tony. Tony? Yeah. 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 Today he dropped, he, killed he dropped, dropped a nice one out there. Oh man. That's awesome. Hey, yeah, look, I, I, I'm going to ask you a question real, real quick. Yeah. T-Bone, uh, going back to David Blanton, I, I recently heard a podcast with David Blanton where he was talking about his, that at his age, as long as he's been bow hunting, he was going through some target panic. Yeah. And um, I don't know how much that you helped him with that, but do you have any tips for anybody that may be going through target panic? Yeah. Um, and, and David has been going through that for quite some time, but it, it's one of those things that we're uh, until you're ready to, you know, it's almost like being an alcoholic or whatever. You just got to admit that you're, you know, that what you have and you, it, it's a process to get over. It's mind over matter, but he has, and, and a lot of people may have it and not even know that they have it because, you know, it's basically, uh, you know, you're punching the trigger and you're flinching and then you, you have, um, uh, anticipation of the, the shot going off. So therefore you don't want to punch the release. So then you hold up low of the target or to the left or to the right or whatever. But the best thing I would tell you is, uh, you'll read and see a lot of things on, um, getting over target panic. And, and probably the number one thing is to shoot with your eyes closed. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, have said that for years and I even you know way back when I went through it too I mean it's it's no joke it's a bad deal but uh because it's so silly it's like yes. all I gotta do is put the pin on it 
and shoot the trigger and I mean, you know, and pull the trigger and it should go there. Well, it's just so silly that you can't put the pin where you want to. And it's, it's simply mind over matter. Had me crying on a mountain in, in Pennsylvania shooting a, a Cabela's world championships up there. I mean, I was like, golly, I, and it was the year after I'd won the world championship. So a lot of eyes was on me like, Hey, this is the guy that he, he, you know, to beat. And this is the current world champion and all that stress and anxiety just got me, man. And I was just uh, eat up with it. But uh, to get back to it, closing your eyes to uh, a tip is I don't recommend closing your eyes anymore. And the reason why is because like when you close your eyes, if you think about it, you know, like when you shoot, you shoot across the bridge of your nose. So if you're right-handed, you're shooting kind of your eyes cocked to the side whenever you're aiming a rifle or a bow or anything like that. Well, if you close your eyes and try this sometime, when you close your eyes, your eyes automatically center back in your head. So like you close your eyes, you can't really, you have to really force yourself to cock your eyes. They go right back in your head or either roll up into your head. So I don't want people to, I want them to get used to looking down range, but, I, but either take your side off your bow or take a piece of tape and cover up your pins so that you can't aim. We want you to, you have to bring two things together. You have to aim without execution, and then you have to execute properly without aiming. So you, when you're practicing the execution, you just want to have a blank slate, stay there at five, you know, turn the lights off in the room or just have a dim lit light, have the target at shoulder height. Don't, you know, don't aim down. You don't want to aim shoulder height and stand five yards from the target and just execute a good shot. You know, just push, pull, squeeze. Imagine you're mashing a ball between your shoulder blades, execute the shot, just pull through the shot and just execute the shot. You don't have to aim because you know how to aim, you know, to bring the two together if you have target panic. So then you need to practice aiming without shooting. So when you're, you know, hold the bow up with the pins, but don't, don't shoot it. Just aim, just get used to seeing that perfect sight picture of the pin where you want it on the target and then either let down or, you know, just imagine, you know, even if you're just holding the bow, not drawn back, but just hold it up and just imagine and, and go through like, okay, I'm fixing to shoot the shot and pow, good shot held, held there. So you're imagining, you know, you're pretending and then even take an extra set of sights. And this works really, really well. Like when you're driving down the road, aiming the, aiming at the taillight of the car that's in front of you when you're going to work so that you're always, okay, I'm going to shoot the corner of that taillight right there. And then just, you know, take 10 or 10 seconds, 12 seconds, and go through that whole shot process. When you're sitting there watching TV in the recliner, aim at the light switch, commercial, you know, aim at a lady's eyeball on the TV or just anything like that. And then you'll get re repetition. Your, your mind will get used to doing that, that aiming part and seeing the perfect picture and you, you know, pretending and imagine that the shot process was perfect. And then you do that for, you know, weeks on end. A lot of people think they can do this for two or three days and they're fixed. But that, but you do that long enough, you're learning to shoot without aiming and aim without shooting. And then eventually you bring them together. And then you, I don't think you, if you had full blown target panic, I don't think you ever get over it. I think that you learn to control it. So, I mean, a whole lot better. And it, man, it's one of the proudest moments I've ever had is, you know, getting through it and getting onto it. So today, you know, not to sound arrogant, but I, I feel like I can shoot any, release out there no matter if it's a um you know a hinge style back tension release a t-handle thumb release pinky release uh, index finger i can shoot it you know execute it as good as i can execute it without a problem and, and even if it's a 12 dollar release or a 300 release i i can execute it properly i'm not saying i'm going to be the best at it but i'm just going to say i can execute that thing properly um 
how it needs to be shot, even if it's just grabbing it. And that's just learning how to go through the absolute shot process. And it'll help you with rifle, shotgun, anything, muzzle loader, any of that stuff. It's such good mental uh, uh, um, training for you, the strength and the, the, the being aggressive, not cocky, but aggressive and being um, proactive as far as getting a, making a good shot. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it really strengthens a shot for no matter what you're doing. So I, yeah, I, target panic's no joke. It's no joke. And I appreciate you saying, I appreciate you putting it that way, all that together. I also appreciate you saying a lot of people don't realize that they got, they do have it. A lot of people think that they're, they're fine with it, but once it yeah. gets to a point, mine got to a point so bad that I couldn't, I couldn't control it. I bought four or five, six different releases and now I'm, I'm shooting a back tension and it's helped a lot. I still yeah. catch myself if I get in a hurry. Yep. That that it like I want to I want to even pull that back tension really quick, so I have to tell myself to stop and Just slow wait. down. Yeah. But that that's helped me more. I don't know if I could go back to a finger release right yet though. Yeah. And, and some people never can, you know. And then you know they everybody tries quick fri- quick fixes. You know, at the end of the day, you got to train your mind, like I was telling you, because um, you know, like I'm doing it with this, so that you change to another release. Well, yeah, that that changes things for a little bit, but eventually your mind's learning that, and then you're going to learn to to, to, to trick it. And we, we call it when someone can't put their finger on the trigger or they slap at the trigger or, you know, punching the trigger, we do it, call it like a drive-by. I mean, I've seen guys that have their finger behind the trigger and they go, boom, and they reach <laughs> yep, up there and yep. do a drive-by. I mean, the guy who has no anticipation and punches the trigger is actually can't be beat, meaning he's the most accurate there is as long as he has no anticipation. But eventually – this hand is going to move a little bit before this hand. And it's going to be what it is, is he'll have a bunch of good shots because he's shooting at the opportune time. He's punching that trigger, no anticipation, no collapse on the shop, no flinching. When everything works timing-wise, the most accurate you can be. But eventually, you're going to collapse. You're going to flinch. This hand's going to move before this one. And you're going to have a bad flyer. So, therefore, we've proven through time that if you shoot with good back tension, you know, a push, a pull, expand your chest, tighten your back muscles, you know, on that ball, that, that imaginary ball between your shoulder blades, so that the muscles are always working this way. You know, you get that wall on a bow, you hit that wall, feel the wall, and then just kind of pull into it so that whenever the shot breaks, it's going. you're going to go this way. If you see somebody that stays still or does that, they knew the bow was going off, so that's not a good shot. You know, you want it to be a surprise shot. But through we've proven it. If you have a hundred shots, someone that punches, when he does flinch or has an anticipation, his miss is going to be a big time, six, eight, ten inches away. Sometimes even miss the target. Whereas the guy that shoots tries to shoot the best back tension, push, pull, squeeze, aim. He's aiming, but he's watching that pin just move all the time. It never sits still. I don't care how strong you are, how good you are. You're just waiting on it. And all you got to do is stare where you want to hit. And just let this move in the foreground and then let the shot happen. Well, that guy may not never, I mean, the the shot may go off when it's over here, but he's always going to be like this. Mm -hmm. He's never going to have those big flyers or those huge misses. He's always going to be more consistent and a better shot and a a stronger mental uh, shooter by doing so. But like I was telling you, a guy that's got the perfect timing, he's always going to win out, but it always jumps on him in, in, in times of, 
buck fever, doe fever, or shooting for $10,000 in the world championship, that monkey's going to get all over you, boy. I mean, you ain't going to be able to handle it. Well, a lot, of pe- a lot of people even think, like you said, a lot of people think the pros and don't even have it like yourself. And I also heard Levi Morgan here recently talk about, he's like, he's like I went back to the car and told Samantha that I've won competitions and I shouldn't have won because my target panic was so bad in there. Yeah. So I mean, Oh, yeah, I, I guarantee you. Well, he's he's basically a freak of nature anyway. So <laughs> <That's right. laughs> his worst day is about as good as any of our best days. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's. I want to I want to get this in here because I thought about it earlier today when when I you know t- spoke with you and I got to looking back on some of the stuff when you were able to go and take uh, that cat. What was what was that experience like for you? Well, I was a little upset with uh, Nick on that because Nick w- was kind of putting a, putting that hunt together, uh-huh. and uh, I thought we was just going on a mule deer hunt. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, we we went for a mule deer hunt. Well, when we landed, all I brought was a I had the old thirty naught six is all I had. Oh, so, okay. So he says we we land in um um Dun Dundee is the our guide, which mm-hmm. he he's actually a game warden, but he was he was my guide, and he goes uh. It's kind of funny, Dundee's, uh, if you've watched the show, he's uh, kind of a California accent. He's he's full-blooded Navajo, uh-huh. but he's got a real high-pitched voice and uh, kind of sounds like a surfer dude, too. <laughs> but he goes, uh, hey, T-Bone, man, he goes, we got you a kitty cat tag, man. What do you think about that? Well, first thing I thought of is I'm like, I've seen kitty cat hunts, which you hunt them on dogs and stuff, and I'm like, I ain't built for no kitty cat hunting, climbing mountains and stuff like that. I'm like, I'm like, dude, I, I'm Dundee. I'm being serious. I, I, I probably let y'all down. He goes, no worries, man. The cat get up in the tree. You get to him. We good. You don't get to him. We know we no big deal. And I'm like, all right, man. So I was sweating that the whole time, but I was upset. I was like, the first day we're mule deer hunting. We was riding around and I, I was like, man, I wished I would have known that we had a cat tag, I'd have brought my bow because, uh-huh. you know, I, w- I want to kill that with my bow. And he goes, uh, he goes, don't worry about it, T-Bone. You can use my bow, man. <laughs> so I'm thinking, I mean, I wonder what kind of bow Dondi's got. It's probably like a 20-year-old bear or, or, you know, an old high country, something like that. And he goes, so what kind of bow you got? He goes, nothing but the best for me, man. I got a Hoyt Carbon Element, bro. <laughs> I was like, man, this is going to work out. <laughs> it's perfect. So, uh, um, he, he brought his bow with him every day. I never shot the thing. He's like a 28 inch draw. We wasn't the same. I didn't even look at the bow. He, I did not look at it. He just said, I got broadheads and everything. Cause we was mainly wanting a mule deer. That was just a bonus. If we right, right. had a cat tag, went hunted all week long. Didn't, didn't even, didn't see hardly any mature deer at all. The last day, the last we'd cut a track and we, we treed one cat, but it was a small Tom. So, uh, or, or we released the hounds and the, the houndsman was working the dogs and we were, now granted this is 17 million acres. So we were mule deer hunting two hours away. So we got the dogs off because you got to be there when you release the dogs. Mm-hmm. And then another guy can run the dogs and then you just come back to them. But we have to be there when the hounds released, the hunter does. So right. we released the hounds that morning at daylight. We went, we went mule deer hunting all day long. We, he, he got a Tom. He said, but it, he goes, it's a real young Tom. He goes, I don't, you know, we could get to it, but I, I don't think we should get it. So he pulled the dogs off. So we had one that we could have shot. So the last day, the last morning, it's mid morning. And we're like, man, I hope we just 
you know, there's a little bit of pressure. We're trying to get a show out of this. We've got thousands and thousands of dollars of travel and, and, uh, you know, production team and all that stuff out there. It's like, man, if you don't get a critter, you ain't got a show. And right. Nick was up in the high country and he hadn't killed one yet. And, and he was hunting like uh, three hours away from us. So we, we didn't, wasn't even in camp together. We were staying in a motel and Nick and them was in another motel three and a half hours away. 17 million acres is the size of West Virginia, the whole state guys. So it, that's a pretty good, pretty good thing. So uh pretty, pretty good size. So we come around this curve and uh, we see some mule deer down there and we're sitting there, you know, glassing, trying to find a, a good buck in there and they're starting to get ruddy. It's, it's just after Christmas. So uh, the guy calls, he goes, Hey, I got a, I got a cat, man. I, I got a pretty good cat. Now the dogs are on him right now. So be ready y'all. We had a two hour drive to get to him. Oh. <laughs> so we're making our way out of this pasture. They call it a pasture, but we're talking hundred thousand acres. They call it, Oh yeah, we're hunting that pasture. But I'm telling you, it's about like, yeah, it's about like a uh, um, Cobb County is what I'm saying. It's the size <laughs> of Cobb County. So we're making our way out of this pasture. We top this hill and then there's, there's two bucks chasing this one doe and one of them's a monster, man. I mean, a, a stomper. I was like, Oh man, that's a good one. So we put a stock on it. We stopped, you know, we were supposed to be going for the cat, but I'm like, we, you know, me and Dondi said, the dogs will hold it, man. The dogs have got it in the tree, man. He's going to wait for us. So uh, we put a stock on it and it was a good one. It was like a hundred high, high 180s. So we shot it, did some B-roll stuff that we needed to do, took pictures, gutted it, got it loaded up. And then there we go. Two hour drive. We're going over there. And I'm thinking, man, I'm going to have to shoot his bow and I've never shot it. Oh, So, so it was about a, I, I guess half mile. It wasn't too, it was, it was uphill, but it was about a half mile walk in there. We drove as close as we could half mile walk in there. And the, it, and I said, man, this is fixing to happen. I got Dondi's bow. I'm toting it in there and I'm using his release. He's got three arrows. That's all he's got three arrows and broadheads. And I put it in there and, um, they, they had to, they had to pull all the dogs up. So you have to put all the dogs, not up, but chain them right, up right. because if I shoot the cat and the cat falls out and then the dogs go in, they could get cut up if the arrow doesn't go all the way through. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm range finding that it's 12 yards. It's only 12 yards up in a tree, which, which, <laughs> but you think about 12 yards. I mean, that, that is 40 something, you know, it's, yeah. it's on up in a tree, 36 foot in a tree. So he's up there. It's a ponderosa pine. And so I draw back and they said, don't shoot, don't shoot, don't shoot yet. And I said, no, I'm not shooting. I said, I'm just, I hadn't even shot this bow yet. Right. I had three arrows. I, I, I didn't even shot it into the ground. I'm like, I'm just from, from, you know, all my years of looking down the air and just, you know, I was just getting a feel for everything. And I'm like, man, I got this. I got, I got it. I mean, I'm not cocky, but I think, right, I, think right. I got it. Then I got to thinking, I'm like, this is probably wrong. I said, but if I don't hit it exactly right, the dogs are here going to get it. going to get back right back on it. So I draw back and I said, I'm ready if y'all are. And it's everybody ready, everybody ready. And I draw back. I mean, if, if there was a I mean, I, I probably couldn't do it again, but if there was a quarter on the size of that where I was wanting to aim, I hit that quarter. I mean, I, it was perfect. Perfect. Cat fell out, didn't run 40 yards, done. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And this was Barred, the game warden's bow. I mean, is that not a redneck dream right there? <laughs> Georgia DNR, hey, guys, let me borrow your bow. I'm fixing to shoot this old cat. <laughs> I was like, golly, that's a story and a half. And then plus, what's the chances of the game warden shooting a Hoyt bow? Yeah, I mean, he's a pretty good. He's a pretty good yeah. game warden. Yeah, it just added to it. So, uh, yeah, he says you're probably not even going to mount this thing. I'm like, Dundee. I said, as big of a redneck as I am, I would have never ever thought I was going to shoot a, a mountain lion. 
I mean, for me to check that off the redneck to-do list, I'm like, you dang right, I'm getting that thing mounted. So it, it's in the living room. The the mule deer and the um, the cat, both in the living room right there, mounted together. You still uh, you still top whitetails is the best to chase for you? It is for me. It, it, I mean, you know, people ask, what do you want to kill next? Or, you know, and, and honestly, if I don't kill another cockroach in my life, I have already far outlived my dreams. But um, the one thing I would like to do is, I, you know, I've killed elk, mule deer, and, and that I, I'd like to do a Yukon float trip with a bow for a moose. I'd like oh, to do wow. that. That, that, I mean, if I, I would like to do that, but if I don't, I'm fine. But yeah, whitetails are the best for me because they're so diverse. I mean, everybody in the United States can relate to them, you know, no matter what size and everyone's different. It's just like a fingerprint. They're so different. And the way we hunt them in Georgia ain't the way they do it in Florida and ain't the way they do it in Wyoming. And every state's a little different. It's so diverse. And, you know, uh, and there's just, you know, big bodies in Midwest and, you know, so much corn and, you know, you get, the, I mean, every state is so different. It's so diverse and you get to enjoy the whole backdrop of that, that, that state or, or wherever you're hunting and you're still chasing the common denominator of a whitetail that everybody can relate to. So, yeah. And I, and I, I've gotten here lately into the management part. Well, I shouldn't say lately for 20 years, I, I've always loved the management part, but I've got to where I love riding on a tractor or a skid steer or anything that does the land improving and conservation. I mean, that just adds to the pride factor to me. And that means as much, if not more than sending an arrow through the side of one of them. And growing them for, for the future is, uh, is where you're yeah. at now. And I've heard you say that several times, especially last year's, last year's Georgia season for you, not even counting what you were able to do out of state, but last year for a Georgia season to be like that in the eighties, there was not even a figment of your imagination that could dream that up. And no. now you've, now you've, I mean, you've killed, you killed two, I mean, Studs. deer that anybody in the Midwest, especially one of them would dream of killing. Oh, and yeah. you did it in your home state. And that, man, that had to be not besides being on your own piece of property, just in your home state, that had to be a very, very humbling feeling. It's super, super surreal. I mean, I, I still don't, I can't believe it. The, I mean, yeah, both of those deer are just amazing. And they blew up from the year before. I knew the deer well. And, and both of those deer, and I'm not the guy to say that because, you know, you hear these people like, he put on 30 inches since last year. I'm like, yeah, right. Deer, deer just don't do that. <laughs> but I promise you, my hand on a Bible, both those deer put 25 inches on from the year before. Crazy. Now, I, I ain't saying that. I am not saying that something that I fed them right. or something that I did. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying it was a freak year. Maybe the right amount of waterfall, I mean, rainfall, the, you know, no stress on them food plots we got planted. I'm not saying it's something that I know I did. I'm just saying it was the perfect storm. Cause I mean, everything just like both of those deer blew up. Unbelievable. I was trying the the big non-typical I shot with a muzzleloader. I was trying to kill it the year before. I mean, I'm like, I know he's five and a half. I'm, I'm fixing to throttle him. The only thing saved him was, uh, the, um, the camera light. I, I, I told myself if I kill it, I want to film it. Right. And in the times I seen him, I could have killed him. You know, if it was just hunting, mm -hmm. I could have killed him, but it was too dark for the camera. So I, I let him go and man, I'm glad I did. Cause man, he, he really blew up. And that's crazy. That's something we're just now learning is how quick camera light goes away. You may be, I know here opening weekend that evening I hunted and I, I at it gets legal shooting light was till eight twenty. 
yeah. at seven fifty five, I had no camera light. I'm like, I know these deer are coming at eight ten. Am I going to wait it out? No, I need to get down and get my butt out of here because I wanted to get one on camera. And I, yeah, you know that's that's part of it. That was I guess. the way it was that morning. I didn't realize I could see fine. I flip that camera on, try to look at something. Nothing. And that's something we're uh-huh. really learning as as this oh. is the first year that we've done any filming. We started the podcast and we wanted to kind of show our journey. And I'll be honest with you, Nick made some amazing turkey hunting videos. He only got one kill on camera. And I love going back and watching those turkey videos just yeah. to watch his story because it ties into everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it, it's fun to, 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 to document that kind of stuff because, you know, you it's in your mind, but this way you can share it with your buddies and, you know, you can see all the things you may have messed on, up on. And I like it being an archery nut and guru. I like to analyze the deer dropping and why did he drop at 31 yards? And yet they didn't seem to do so much at 24. I, I mix all that in with my archery anal guru master mm-hmm. or whatever. And I just like trying to, you know, learn more of it. So I like watching all that stuff and lighted knock just syncing up and, there's just a, a lot that goes to that, but to answer your point or to, or to make a, uh, to add to your point, that camera has saved a lot of deer's lives. I'm telling <laughs> you that right now, because when you're filming a show like us, when you're filming a show, like so many people do, you're not hunting for yourself. You're hunting for that camera. That's right. I can't tell you how many big bucks that I was not allowed to shoot because the camera couldn't see it because of a tree or light or something like that. And I'm like, Sorry about that. I don't know who that is. Look at that. Potential spam. <laughs> Calling about your car's extended warranty. Yeah. Uh, I like spam. I like fried spam, not potential spam. <laughs> that's like that's like what you buy. That's what you buy at Dollar General, potential spam. <laughs> that's right. Hey. It, it could be spam. Maybe not. Hey, hey T Bone. Um how about let's go, let's talk about food plots a little bit real quick. I know you, sure. you you bought the you bought the property that you're on now, and you, you like you said you enjoy working it. What's what's a favorite what's a favorite mix or plot that you like to put out this time of year? Well, every every piece of property is different, you know, as to how you're going to utilize it. But to speak to the masses, and mainly like when I talk about food plots and stuff, I'm you know I guess it could pertain to all across the country, but my my knowledge is more so in the southeast as, yeah. or you know georgia southeast so with that said um you know soybeans are king but you can't hardly plant enough of them anything like a pea an australian winter pea uh iron clay pea those all work great however you just can't plant enough of them unless you've got three and four and five acres mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to plant enough that they can't mow them down so the what has worked the best for me and the reason i say this is is the ground around here, especially in the, the coastal Piedmont re- region, the center part of the state, is so hard. It's such clay-based. I mean, it's like trying to plant. Sometimes it's like trying to plant a uh, parking lot at Ingles. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. just tougher. Yeah, tougher than woodpecker lips. So <laughs> I only want to plow the dirt one time a year. You know what I mean? Because if you if you have to bust that dirt, and a lot of people because you know, the number one cash crop in Georgia is a pine tree. That's right. And most people are hunting, uh, you know, uh, a timber company land. And all they're going to give you to plant is a road bed or are you going to have to plant where they. Uh, a landing there. Uh, yeah, a landing or a dock. And that, and that you know, they've already taken all those topsoil away and it's been packed with all them trucks and skidders and hydraxes running over it. So you got a hard road hoe, you know, coming on top, top of that. So with that said, 
we don't have large areas. I mean, sometimes you do that you can get away with planting corn and soybeans and such. And that's, that's good. That's a different story, but for the masses, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's the, mainly the guys that's only got, if you've got a hundred acres, you probably can only plant like five, six, seven acres right. of that hundred if you're lucky. So you're going in there and, and what's worked best for me is, and I trust me guys over 20 something years, I have planted everything, man. I'm telling you, I've tried it all. And, and this ain't no seed pitch. This is, this is bona fide. This is what has worked best for me. You want something that you can hunt over, definitely, that, that the deer will love in the fall time. And the, the, the product that has been the best for me that can handle the drought, it can handle heavy grazing, and it's cold tolerant. So the once you get in the later season, latter part of the season, when we do have them times that it dips below 30, it can handle the cold and it still grows in that with the cold uh, ground temperatures, is buck forge oats. Um, it's been around for years. Mm-hmm. And, and everybody says, well, I, you know, they're pretty expensive or I'll just plant uh, uh, there's all kinds of different oats. You know, if people don't already know, there's horse oats, you got Goliath oats. There's so many different types of oats and they're great for grazing because a lot of times they're, they're produced for silage for cattle and for feed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of times, uh, they'll try to sell you on planting a lot of oats, uh, Goliath oats that, Hey, this will pl- produce more tonnage for you guys. This is what you want to plant for your food plots. And to your eye, it's like, man, look at all that food out there. But you got to understand once it gets so tall, it's not palatable anymore. Deer's not eating it. It looks good. You're not seeing any of that red clay soil because the there's so much oats out there, but they don't eat it. And it's, we all know no matter how good your food plots look, if they're not eating it, it ain't doing what you need to do. Mm-hmm. So with Buck Forge oats, it's a dwarf oat. So it's, it's really drought tolerant. It's a cold tolerant and it handles heavy grazing. It bounces back real good on the grazing and it stays young and tender all the way from when you plant it at the end of August, or I don't like to plant. We haven't even planted yet. I don't even plant until after September 20th because of army worms. So yeah. a lot of people always plant their food plots around Labor Day. They just feel like I got to get it in at Labor Day, but you're susceptible to getting eat up by um, army worms. So I don't even plant until after September 20th. But for jokes, that's going to be my kill plot, so to speak. That's going to be what the deer are coming to mostly. And what I've done since then is so that I can get them, you know, oats or anything that's a cereal or grain is going to die out. It's done. It's, it's done probably by the end of February, you'll get good out until then. And then that's done. And then you gotta, you don't have nothing for Turkey season. You're either going to have to plant something for Turkey season for spring or for your deer for spring. And then we're, then we're back into, um, uh, having to bust your ground again. You are spending time, time at the hunting club, you are spending uh, diesel fuel. So what I do is, uh, I, I come up with this blend with, Arrow Seed Company, which the reason I chose them is because they will make what I want. So it's got white clover. It's got medium red clover, which are both perennials. It's got chicory, which if you've ever planted chicory is 38% protein and it is hardy. I mean, you can't hardly kill it. Great for a food plot. And then it's got two types of alfalfa. Now alfalfa doesn't do good in Georgia. There are some types of alfalfa that will do good, but you got to plant a lot of it, you know, like your soybeans. But I plant, I put the alfalfa in there because they love it so much. And I know that those are, that's five seeds that I've got in there as a perennial that'll bounce back every year after year. But the alfalfa usually doesn't, but I know I'll get one good year out of it. So hear me out. I plant that and it grows underneath this oats at all fall long. And there is some stuff there for them to eat. They do eat it. But where it shines is if you'll go back and you'll take care of your food plots all year long, whenever the buck forge oats is done, I mean, they're nipping on it all along, but they're mainly focusing on the buck forge oats. 
So then in February or end of February, first of March, you go in there and spray it with, uh, with like a, a post. Uh, it, that's the, the brand. Uh, it, it kills all of your weeds and all of your grasses. And uh, it leaves your perennials or an intensity. We, that's a, an off brand of it. We spray intensity, kills all the grains, kills all that. And then the only thing you got left is clover, chicory, and alfalfa, which thrives from 1st of March. They look fantastic for your uh, turkey strut zones. The turkeys love it. They're in there picking up the clover. And then in them same food plots that I've planted, it'll go all the way. Uh, you put a little fertilizer on it, like a 2020 with no nitrogen throughout the spring. And that'll take you all the way back to the time to plow it up again. And even when you, like we chisel plow it, even the, the a lot of that perennial stays even after you've chisel plowed it. So then you just go through it all over again, do the same thing. You plant it one time a year and you're getting a full 11 and a half months of your food plots looking absolutely perfect, you know, top notch that whole time. Anybody that ever goes to their hunting club, usually in March or April, they go down there and they're like, man, just a bunch of weeds and don't look good. And it's like, man, it looks so good in November, but it looks like Fido's butt now. So <laughs> this way you can get, I mean, you could probably get more out of that because it is a perennial, but there's no way I'm going to go into a, uh, a fall season without my buck forge oats on there because they work so well as far as uh, the deer loving them, they come to them and it handles the grazing and, and such so good. So that, that is the recipe that's worked pretty good for me. If you're just plowing one time, trying to maximize the opportunity and, you know, trying to save a penny or two um, that that's what's worked good for me so that I can get 11 and a half months out of it. And, and the tonnage that it produces is invaluable. And with corn, the way it is now, you know, I, I'd much rather put a, $40, $40 bag of seed in the ground and get so much tonnage out of it than having to go pay $12 a bag for corn That's after right. corn after corn after corn after corn. Have you seen a um, big number of army worms taking over down there this year? Like a, We've had a lot up here. They've eaten my yard up. Yeah. Hey, Alex is yeah. up. We've had a lot at work eat up. Yep. Yeah, it really has. And anything that's new growth, hay fields, a lot of guys have had hay their fields hay fields. Gone. This, yeah. this has been the worst year. Worst year I've ever seen on army worms. Yeah, all the all the podcasts I listen to, they're 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 fighting them bad, especially out towards Mississippi yeah. and stuff. Yeah, Arkansas's hit real bad. Um, yeah, I, I, sod farms. Can you imagine if you was in a sod business and that happened? Oh my gosh, we had Your a whole life gone. We laid yeah, we laid a yard the other day at work, or the guys laid a yard, and I came in. I left on a Friday and came back on Monday, and it was brown. And uh, they had some granules that they were able to come in there and spray on it. And I put it out, and it was it was as green as ever right now. That's good. Yeah. So. Yeah, but I, I from what I understand that um, I forget the name of that chemical, but it's not it's not cheap either. No, I don't think so. It was a good granule, and I told my brother the other day because we just planted our plots um, last Wednesday, <laughs> and uh, I told him I said we need to keep an eye on it because if those army worms start coming, we need to put something on it because. You know, like you said, you get a lot yeah. of money invested in it. You don't want it just to be a dirt pit, dirt pit out there. It's going to be hard to kill a dirt oh, out, yeah. deer out of that. Yeah. And then again, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, you just, it, it's time. You know, you're working 40, 50 hours a week, you know, and then everybody takes off and lines it up. Say, look, guys, we got three days window here. Yeah. This is when we're doing our planting. You know, it's hard to do that anymore. You want to take those days and you want to be hunting those days instead of planting again. Yeah. You got a good you got so, a good t uh, tale to tell on Waddy or uh, <laughs> on Nick. Which one uh, didn't Nick tell? Uh, on? Nick told one on Michael. Yeah. So, so you you can you can, you can pick. Yeah. Whoever wants. <laughs> Michael always picks on a. I'll tell you one on Nick. Um, 
Michael, I mean, uh, Michael always picks on his dad about not pronouncing things correctly, you know, about saying the wrong things like, uh, you know, uh, (laughs) calls it a, uh, not, not his peach orchard. He calls it a peach orchid. And, uh, and then he calls a, you know, like, you know, when you say, uh, let me, let me paint this scenario for you. He goes, let me paint this Sendero for you. Like a Sendero. <laughs> That's that South Georgia Elf. slang coming out in oh, yeah. <laughs> I said, look, I said, what else? We need to write down every one that Paul Paul then says, but so that we can write a book one day. Cause man, that'd be hilarious. And he said, yeah, we got to start doing that. And I'm like, and I was, I was telling him, this was about six months ago. I said, what else? I said, we're getting at that age. We got a, we got a whole dictionary of bad words we're, that we're coming up with. Uh, he goes, yeah, I know it. And I, I get on to Waddell all the time because if you've been around him, well, we all can talk a lot, but Waddell is the king. He could talk the horns off a billy goat, I'm telling you. And he says, he he always says when he's telling a story, well, long story short, and you're three hours into a story. And he goes, long story short. I'm like, no, well, short story long. Like, short story long. <laughs> so we give him bits about that. And he always says he can't say second, like first place, third place, second place, right? That's how you say it. He goes, second, second, <laughs> like sack, S-A-C-K, second. You listen to a podcast that what else on. And if he says second, he, he can't say second. He says second. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, yeah. um, I, I want to, I want to, um, kind of let Nick take the, take the role for a second, Travis, cause we've got a couple of questions we always ask at the end of the show. And when Nick gets, gets finished with those couple of questions, I've got, got something that we'll close it out on, but, but Nick's got some good ones that I think you'll, you'll like these. Well, I got a good questions. story on Nick. If you want, oh, yeah, 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 no, yeah. no, we yeah, want it. No, we yeah. just, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. No, no, you ain't, I, I was just giving you a little appetizer on. Oh, yeah. oh okay. My story. bad. No, keep it going. So, I love it. <laughs> oh, it's no, it's no secret that Nick is a, uh, you know, he, he probably loves to be the globe trotting hunter of all of us. You know what I mean? Yep. We, we, we always say the key to a happy camp is make sure that Nick gets put on the biggest deer and in the best spot, and then it'll be a good camp for everybody. <laughs> you know, we, we give him fits like that when we show up. So before we started Bone Collector, we was all friends, like we said. So this is a, a friend of ours, Corey Knowlton. Is a, he's a, um, he owns the hunting consortium where he, like if you want to go hunt, he, he was on the show with Jim Shockey, uh, Uncharted, for, for a long time. Mm-hmm. He's not on TV anymore. He does uh, – he's the person you call if you want to go kill a Sanitar Ibex in Turkey or, you know, all these weird things. Wow. He, he's the one that connects you. He's a world consor- – uh, you know, hunting consortium. So he is worldwide hunter. And him and Nick have been friends for a long time, uh, even longer than us. So – Nick was running a camera long before we started Bone Collector. He ran a camera for Realtree. I'm sure he told you that. And uh, Corey had approached him. And, you know, Corey's got a, a pretty pretty good uh, wallet backing him up. Said, uh, look here, Nick, I want you to come. Uh, me and my dad, we're going to Russia, and we're shooting brown bear in Russia. Now, I want you to come and film us in Russia. It's a three-day trip just to get there. And he said, I want you to come. He goes, I'll either pay you $10,000 or I'll buy you a, a bear. I'll buy you a brown bear hunt. And then, you know, you can kill one while you're there. He said, man, I've always, and then this was a time long before bone collector when Nick was basically living under a bridge culvert. I mean, he, <laughs> he didn't have two Nick. He didn't have two nickels to rub together. Um, he, he was, uh, I swear. I mean, <laughs> he, 
he he was you know could have used the money but he's like you know what man this is opportunity of a lifetime i want one of those you know these are big brown bears i don't know if you've ever heard of the ones they kill in russia long a lot bigger than the alaska and the um canadian brown bear these are monsters 10 11 foot tall said okay i want that i want that brown bear so they went and he told us all about it. it's a great story to, of them getting over there they're flying in like a 1940s helicopter <laughs> they're on sea dues that they piece together i mean uh uh, snowmobiles that they pieced together, 1940 snowmobiles, you know, the tanks exposed. There ain't, ain't no fiberglass on it nowhere. It's just a, looks like somebody took one of those old snapper comets and turned it in <laughs> and turned it into a, a snowmobile. He showed his picture. So anyway, he goes, long story short, they all three kill the, the good bear. They come back and, you know, it's great. It's an awesome bear, right. 10 foot, having it mounted. So the next, him and his dad, his dad's a big hunter too. Nick's dad is a big hunter. And this is before Bone Collector. And they, their, their dream hunt was them to go bear hunting in Canada together. Mm-hmm. So this is either a year or two later. Corey comes to, to again and said, look, we're going back. We're going back again. And uh, he goes, um, we're going to Russia. And the same thing, you know, if you would like to you know, go, I'll pay you $10,000. You know, you do all the filming and stuff. I'll pay you to come pay your way and everything. Or I'll, you know, give you a brown bear. And he goes, man, he goes, that's awesome, Corey. He goes, I appreciate it. He goes, you know what? Me and my dad have always wanted to share camp. And my dad has wanted to kill a big brown bear. He goes, is there any way that my dad could go with us? And he said, uh, he, he tells a story, you know, a lot in, or I tell it for him actually in a lot of seminars we do. And he goes, is there any way, that my dad could go with us. And he says, he says, yeah, yeah, he can go. He says, that's not a problem at all. And and I'm thinking like, he's telling this story. I'm like, dang, man, that's awesome of Nick. You know, yeah. like he's not going to make a dime on this. He's going to go over there and he's taking, he's taking his dad so that he can kill a brown bear. They're going to be in camp with Corey and his dad in Russia. They're the, the long travel, you know, it's, that's awesome, man. So they get over there, you know, and they're going and I'm like, <clears throat> He's telling this story and he goes, yep, dad was up. It was his time to, to, to kill a bear. He killed a bear. And then he goes, then it was my turn. I said, what do you mean your turn? He goes, he goes, I didn't give dad the free damn bear. I ain't that dumb. Dad's got his own money. He bought his own money. <laughs> the whole time I'm thinking, I'm, I'm like, man, Nick, give his dad a bear hunt. But, but typical Nick, he's like, no. I don't need the money either. I, I'm living in a bridge culvert, but hey, nonetheless, I've got two big ass brown bear now. Dad had to buy his own. <laughs> oh my goodness! I wish we had heard that story before we got Nick on. We'll ask him about that next time. That is awesome. That's yeah. Oh, I did not see that turn coming for sure. Oh, oh my, yeah. My dad would have been like, "This is my bear. You're not getting one this year." That's right. That was so funny. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he told it and I was the first time he told it, we was, you know, talking to a couple hundred people and me and Michael are just listening to the story. And I'm like, I'm getting choked up a little bit. I'm like, man, old softy Nick, man, that's, that's awesome. And he goes, <clears throat> and then it true Nick come out. Cause he is, I don't want to say game hog. Cause that's pretty harsh, but man, he loves this stuff. He, he built his whole house. He just got through with his house mm-hmm. and he built it all around his trophy room, man. I mean, he's got a trophy room to, and, and and that's what makes Nick Nick. I'm not beating him up. I mean, oh no, no, love no. him for that. But <clears throat> man, he loves his stuff. Like he's he's in uh, he's in Alaska right now, uh, in Geezer Ridge. <clears throat> yeah, on Geezer Ridge, and uh, he's 
up there killing another moose, and he's got like four of them. I mean, how many seventy-inch moose do you need? <laughs> That's a trip right there. That that has. It's been so neat to see somebody like Nick go on. And that's that's one of my favorite. I um, saw on his story that he had checked in on Instagram, and and that yep. was it was so neat to see that and hear. You can tell the excitement in his voice when he talks about it. That and oh, yeah. that and that's with anything with with Nick especially. He is just so excited to tell a story or do anything. It is. It. I, I think the guy could be excited about lighting an ant bed on fire in the backyard. Yeah. I mean, he's just he he is the best person to have in camp. I mean, he is. From from when he was a guide and a cameraman, I mean, he is the he is the perfect person. Meaning, like, he's fun to be around. And then, like, when anybody kills something, he's the first one in there. He wants to gut everybody's stuff. He's there out out there helping everybody's skin. I mean, he is the ultimate person to be in camp. Uh, he he just loves everything about it. I mean, just can't get enough of it. And just celebrates no matter what anybody kills or anything. He just loves it. That's awesome. When's your when's your opening day for Georgia? Well, it, I'm, I'm just watching cameras now, right now, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I would have already been, but I, I just don't want to pressure. I don't have a ton of land here, and I'm just letting the cameras do the work for me. I, I don't want to just go sit and kind of revert things back to nocturnal. I'm trying to see what I need to see in daylight, and then I'll, I'll go. So we actually, today, I, I spent about four hours putting up four more cameras. I'm trying to position them to where everything is, you know, just exactly right. What are you looking it at? It looks Nick? like somebody. Oh, somebody, in that window back there. Like, I think it's a wind chime. It looks like in something's the, in that window back there. I'm like, somebody says <laughs> about to get Probably there's a wind chime over here. I was like, something's about to get you. <laughs> <laughs> well, if there's somebody in that window, they, they, they got to be about 14 foot tall. <laughs> Look, it's lighting up. Right? Oh, yeah, it's that wind chime. When I saw it a minute that, ago when, when it, it turns. Spins. It looks like a face right mask. Yeah, yep. it looks like a face mask. Well, actually, the wind chime is at, at, the wind chime's over there. Gotcha. Yeah. You can see the reflection yeah. in that in that window or something. I saw it a minute ago. I was All like, I was thinking is that ring, the movie. Oh, the ring, that, that yeah. lady face. <laughs> don't don't be looking at him. He, he gonna be. You know what I'm surprised death. you didn't talk with him about was uh the MMA stuff as much as you like it, and he does. Oh, too. I love MMA. Oh man, I am eat up with that too. And, and I tell you, my heartbreak for the whole MMA game was when. Brock Lesnar beat Randy Couture. That really broke my heart into that old yeah. era of the old school dudes. And now you got these new guys coming in. It just ain't yeah. as fun to watch as the Chuck Liddell and Randy Couture days. It is a different time, yeah, for sure. I, I man, I love it. I'll have to include you on Instagram. We got a uh, a bunch of people within the industry that are really true. We got a UFC group that we oh, yeah. always take back and forth and talk about news all the time. So, you know, um, you know, talking about Jake Paul. Mm-hmm. You know the Paul. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. He keeps fighting so many smaller weighted guys. You know who everybody keeps saying, "Why don't you fight somebody your own size?" I'm thinking John Jones would be perfect, wouldn't he? Two oh five or Anderson yeah. Silva. Yeah. If I go fight Anderson <laughs> Silva, you don't see him calling him out. No. Uh. Uh-uh. Yeah, he's an old man, but fight him. I, yeah, yeah I, I, I wouldn't want to. No way. <laughs> Call Saint no Pierre way. out. I'd like to see George back. I'd be the one to knock his ass out and get it over with. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, we exactly. go all. I could go all. I better you. You better quit, Nick. You gonna have me all night. I'll be fired up fighting the bed sheets tonight. <laughs> Travis, we always uh, T Bone. Uh, we always end the episode with all all the new guests, unless we've had somebody return. And man, I've been thinking about this all day. And 
um, since Alex had got in touch with you, what I, how I was going to ask this first question because you're so versed in the outdoors. But if you had one piece of advice that you'd give somebody, what would it be? And it could be, it could pertain to bow hunting, uh, life in general. It doesn't matter. But if you just got one big piece of advice, um, um, probably that what helped me is uh, just pursue your passion. You know, like like so many kids, um like you see so many kids, like, like I know my journey, like when you get out of high school, I wasn't that great at school. I, I have attention deficit disorder. Like I can't, I can't focus on nothing. I'm all over the place. I mean, I'm very productive, but I'm scatterbrained. I mean, I'm all, I'm working on this, working on that. I'm, I'm staying, staying busy, but I didn't know what I wanted to do for a living. And, and, you know, and even in today's age, it's almost like we're brainwashed. You got to go to college. Well, why are you going to college? I don't know. It just seems like that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to go to college. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think there's a lot of people that aren't, we're losing people that are going to Votech. You know, you need to go to, you need to learn a trade, a skill. That, that's always going to be heating and air conditioning and all that kind of stuff. I went to heating and air conditioning school. I got a degree in that. And I, I knew once I'd graduate, I didn't want to do that the rest of my life. But my dad and my uncle told me, he said, if you'll do something that you're passionate about, you'll never feel like you worked a day in your life. And, and I got to say, that's true. I mean, I've been real fortunate to, to carve out a living in this, but you can ask, you know, we got a lot of mutual friends. You can ask Lonnie and, and Glenn and, and, and a lot of uh, Todd and all of them. I, I mean, there were some humble times when I started my own business. I mean, you go a whole week and that cash register wouldn't even ring $110 for the whole week. And I'm like, you know, I kept, kept asking myself, I'm doing the wrong thing. I'm not, you know, if I'm going to have a family, this is the wrong thing, but I, you didn't feel like you worked. You could put 80 hours a week in on something that you're passionate about. And it never feels like you worked a day in your life. I mean, even now, like, like I, I'll quit at the end of the day and I'll, I really have to think like now I'm like, man, you know what? I didn't even work today. I just kind of sat around here. But then you think I'm like, well, hell I didn't. Here it is. I'm like, look, like it's 830 <laughs> at night and I'm still going, you know? Yeah. And it's work. I yeah. mean, it, all of it's work. So, but I don't even think about that because it's something that you love. So, I, I would tell someone, and you through in, Instagram and social media, you get a lot of that. But you know, and there's so many more opportunities with the internet and ways to make a living and stuff. Pursue your passion. Life is too short to do a job that you freaking hate forty hours a week and you're stressed out and have anxiety and such to 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 keep doing that. So, um, you know, big picture. Uh, people say, how do you get into the outdoor industry? I, I, I didn't, it wasn't, you know, I, I went through open doors to get where I am. I'm not saying that it's cut out for everybody to do this, but someone young and they don't have the money to have their own show or do this or that and the other, do it in their off time. And sure. then also film the stuff just like y'all guys are doing. It may, it may come to that. Or if you wanted to be a freelance, if you don't have two nickels to rub together, you become a freelance uh, cameraman and with people needing stuff on social media and TV shows and YouTube and digital platforms, there's always a need for camera guys. And there's always a need for people doing editing and stuff like that. And this way you get to travel the whole country. You get to go on a ton of different hunts. The only thing you don't get to do is pull the trigger and get a taxidermy bill. Other than that, you're getting paid to go around the whole country and, and, and live the lifestyle of a, of a hunter, not to mention meet some fantastic people. And then you're getting a paycheck for it. So being a freelance cameraman is not such a bad gig. And that's a great way for someone in their early 20s to get get started. So, uh, yeah, pursue your passion, you know, and before you know it, you'll be 55 years old and 
and uh, then carved out a pretty decent living. Yeah. Well, uh, I always ask this question last, unless I think of something later. But <laughs> what uh, what are you most thankful for, T Bone? Most thankful. Ah, uh, just I get um, you know, family and friends, and you know, family, just simple things. You know, the older I get, I used to think I. And this COVID has shed a lot of light on it. I'm trying to think deep, guys, and and I, what I, I mean, I'm just thankful for like, for the last 15 years, I've traveled. You know, I we all do a lot of public speaking. I was the national, I'm the national spokesperson for Whitetails Unlimited. So, you know, I do 40 or 50 events a year, and I'm traveling even during the off season. I mean, I'm traveling all the time and um, gone from the family and all. And and I felt like because I did own my own business that I had to do that because that, you know, I, you got to take advantage of while it's there. Well, when COVID happened, naturally public speaking and all that kind of stuff, you know, shut down, which was, which was, you know, luckily I'd saved a few pennies and we're okay with that. And, you know, you have other uh, ways of revenue with our show and stuff. So I was okay, but it let me see that I don't have to go with my hair on fire. You know what I mean? Like I, I need to slow down and you know what I've really enjoyed this last year, this is going to sound silly, but, me and three or four or five local guys around here that my buddies that live right around here, we get together and eat lunch every day. And I look forward to that about as much as anything. Or when my wife's not working or when she wasn't working because she's a school teacher, spending 30 or 45 minutes on the back porch drinking a cup of coffee in the morning, just rocking on a chair with my wife looking in our backyard. Man, that has meant the world. I mean, that seems so simple, but that, that means the world to me. And then, <clears throat> of course, any time I can spend in a tractor or a skid steer, diesel therapy, golly, I, I I mean, honestly, if you ask me right now, what would you want to do? What would be the perfect day? Me and my buddy, Brian, we went to Mississippi yesterday to pick up an implement. And I said, what would be the perfect day for you? And he goes, he goes, man, I don't know. He goes, life's been so weird lately. I, I don't know. You know, you, you think, well, I don't want to go surfing in Hawaii. or I want to go catch a sailfish in Florida or something like that. And I told him, I said, honestly, the perfect day to me is to wake up drink a cup of coffee with my wife, go get on the skid steer, run about a tank and a half of fuel through it, not have no breakdowns. And, uh, and then, you know, come back in and, and, and put something, uh, put some venison or elk on the grill and sit down and watch a movie with my family. That, that's like the perfect day to me. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, I'm not going anywhere or anything. So it, it makes me, I guess, proud. I guess I'm getting older, you know, but those simple things mean the most to me. And I we talked with Waddell. Waddell's the same way. He's like, man, he goes, I like going on these hunts, but man, I sure do like home pretty, pretty good <laughs> too now. And uh, yeah, I know he's 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 on a three week run right now, so I know he's ready to be home too. So, but uh, yeah, I guess I guess that's it. I, I sorry about the long answer on that, but that's no, kind of perfect. I can appreciate you answering that 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 way. And I started asking these questions. I don't know. What episode? Three or four in. Yeah, I mean, we went far in, and I and I I've I've asked it a different way all the time, but I'll tell you what. After this past week, man, and and I don't mean to go on this right here real quick, but we lost a dear friend of ours, ah. and he was on a podcast with us earlier, and he left um he left what he was thankful for, and you know it was a good Lord, and and I and I cherish that 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 he was able to do that, and now his son or myself or Alex or mm -hmm. anybody else can go back and listen to that, and. Yeah, and and just just because somebody thinks somebody think why does he just keep asking what they're thankful for? One day somebody can go back and listen to his or her voice, and, yeah. and hear it if they want to. So like Alex always said, we mount these memories, and we're mounting this memory with podcasts and and, and people that come on it. So I appreciate yeah. you sharing that. 
And oh, I also, yeah. also appreciate who you are. I mean, it doesn't matter if you run into you at the GON Outdoor Blast or if we've ran into you before at the Venture Outdoors with the Whitetails Unlimited, and you're the same person. It doesn't matter. So TV person, it doesn't matter. I appreciate you being that way because you're, you're a big influence in this sport that we do. Well, yeah. Is that a fat joke? <laughs> I, I get what i tell people all the time i'm the one and nick's the zero we make a hell of a 10 though yeah that's what nick says all the time too he's the one and i'm the zero yeah uh, oh but, but no goodness. i appreciate you saying those kind words I'm, i mean it's it's a uh, like i told you before i mean if, if if i don't kill another cockroach or it's been one heck of a ride man like i said so if, if all i do is fletch people's arrows and mow people's grass the rest of my life i mean it's been a great run i swear it has it and i appreciate you saying that but no i mean only thing i got in life is my reputation and and you know personality and the way you treat people and i, I man i can't stand for someone to be rude or no manners or you know a guy takes the time to come up to me and tell me about his hunting story or you know it, it, people you know people see you around in the public and you're shaking people's hands and saying hey and talking with them they say man don't that get old and i said no i mean you know you, you do get wear that wore down sometimes i said don't get old at all it says when when people don't want to talk to you is when it when when you got problems so um no I, it's a blessing for us so we're, we're we're real appreciative of it and thank you guys for saying those kind words yes sir one day like you said nick there won't be anybody uh, left to tell those stories and if there won't be any time for people to come up to you like you said travis it's gonna come a time in one of these days where You'll, you'll be left with pictures and voice recordings and videos. And through your career, there's probably been more people than you can count on both hands and feet that are no longer here that you may have shared a camp with, that you've been able to, like we yeah. say, mount a memory with. A lot of people look at a deer head and they think, man, you got a beautiful deer head on the wall behind you there. And But Nick killed that deer and that deer head could be gone and he could still have that memory. And one day those that's people right. are going to be gone and they're going to have those memories to talk over. And that's the one thing that we've, we've, we've lost two people that we've had on this show in less than a year. And both of those gentlemen were wonderful folks. They were older. One was lost in a car accident and one was lost to COVID. And it, it's taken so much out of us. But like you said, it's given, given us so much more family time and more hope that we're we are going to be okay if we stick together, and it is okay yeah. to stay at home. It is all right to sit on the back porch mm -hmm. and drink a cup of coffee and relish in those yeah. little things. Yeah, well, that's a good way of putting it. I I like the the analogy of mountain of memory. I've never heard that before, but that really that that really has uh, resonated with me, guys. So I, I like that. That's yeah, the one thing we, we always say. We said it at the very first episode. It was at, we always end every episode. I said it for years, and and. It's we always say smile as you go and don't forget to mount the memories and that's the one thing that we're we're gonna continue to do with this thing yeah. and but I'll tell you this the the biggest thing for me has been the the approach that you guys get y'all do make a huge influence on folks. Thank you. Yeah, y'all got a great podcast, so keep up the good work. Both of you guys do a fantastic job. I, I'm not just saying that, but uh, but I y'all y'all do a good job. Appreciate it, man. Um, thank. You. Thanks for flying that flag here behind you, too. Yes, sir. Always. We'll always <laughs> have us a flag up. Tell, oh, yeah. tell old Pitts we said hello when you see him. Oh, Pitts. Y'all Have y'all had him yes, on? Yeah, we did. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Pitts, man, he's crazy. I, I told him he's he, – y'all may be too young to remember that. Y'all know who Catherine Hepburn is? 
I'm, I've mm-hmm. heard the name, just my dad yeah. talking about it. Yeah, you go you go back and look at uh, the movie on Golden Pond, and uh, she, the, the, Catherine Hepburn talks like this. <laughs> so uh, that's what we say Pitts is, is the redneck Catherine Hepburn. Hey, Brian. <laughs> how's Philip doing? He's good. He's yeah, doing real good. We're just yeah, kind of follow the story along on, on social media and stuff. and know he kind of yeah. went through a tough time. Yeah, that was, but he he's doing real good, man. He's working real hard for that their series they got there, that Hunt Club TV. There, there, you know, he there's nobody that hunts harder than Philip, especially for a turkey. And uh, it, we call him his nickname's Free Falling Philip because he was filming Sam Clements. Did you ever hear this story? Uh-uh. <laughs> he, he was out in a cedar tree. They was in a cedar tree, and um, he before he could get clipped in, he was filming Sam Clements out in Kansas, and they was in a I don't know twenty twenty five foot up a cedar tree. And he fell out and he hit every <laughs> limb on the way down. And and thankfully it was a cedar tree because yeah. it was like a, you know, a one foot fall, but he did it 25 times. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he, um, he was going, and Sam nicknamed him free falling Philip. <laughs> but he didn't hurt anything. I mean, he was bruised up a little bit, but it could have been so much worse, but uh, oh my yeah. Yeah. That Pitts is a mess, man. You know, Pitts used to work with me for, yeah, he for told, years. He yeah, told he told us, us that. Yeah, and uh, man, me and him, he's, we, man, I could tell you some stories about him. God, he is so funny. God, he's so funny. <laughs> I told him, we, we told him on the podcast that he needs to come back out and start doing some of those funny skits and stuff. And Yeah, that I think Real Realtree kind of produced all those things. So, yeah. uh, you know, with him being a fireman, I guess it's, he's kind of at their mercy of whenever they want to do it. But yeah, they're funny. Yeah, they, they are. are funny. He's a mess, man. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you coming on. I know we kind of yeah. winding down here. Yeah, and like uh, like Nick said, it's been a it's been an interesting journey to watch you as you go, Travis, and we can't wait Thank to you. watch you as you as you continue along. And uh, we want to get you back on again in the future. We'll have to hear yeah. about it, and uh, we'll make sure to send you a message. You've been yeah, been just just so let great. me know. You got my number. You got my email. Just uh, and stay in touch, and then you, you let me know. I'll, I'll be glad to come on. We. We, uh, as far as I know, we don't turn down any radio, any podcast or anything. We do them all. So yeah. usually do two or three a week, every week. Well, we sure yeah. appreciate you taking your time. Your time is, you're stretched, I, I know, thin in, in all the things that you do. And we sure appreciate you carving out a little time for us. Look, is that another fat joke? <laughs> I knew that was coming when I said it. I was like, here we go. He fixed to give me again. Hey good, hey, good luck this season. Stay safe, man. All, all your travels. I, Sounds good, man. Y'all guys have a good one, too, and uh, take care. Appreciate y'all having me on. All yes, right. Sir. Thank you very much, Travis. See, man. <laughs> See y'all. See ya. See ya. Good episode, man. Oh, my goodness. What an amazing episode. I, You know, I knew that he was going to be a, 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 a lot of fun to have on, and uh, but he is just – I can't quit smiling. He is as genuine as, as the day is long, and – well, after an hour, he started warming up with us, didn't he? Oh, yeah, he absolutely did. Yeah, he, he realized might, that we was just actually, like we was. If he actually got around camp with us, he may throw a few more punches in there. I tell you, Nick, it's it's funny. You know, you made mention of what we this past week's been and what's what it's all went through. And listening back to, to episodes that we've had on, I've actually went back and listened to several old episodes and – the little things that stick out to me in those episodes are I went back and listened to, to actually Pitts's episode, just a little clip of it. Mm-hmm. Went back to the uh, to the rabbit breakfast one, of course, and listened to it. But I went all the way back to, to when we first got started with the local guys here, listening to a little bit of Mayo in them's episode and 
episodes that you and I've just done, the morning episode that we did and the one that we had on the night that Red was here. And it's just, it's, it's so crazy to think that we're at, we're approaching 70 episodes with this thing and we're, we've still got two months to go. Um, I never would have imagined we would have had this much fun. No. But I don't know that I ever would have dreamed we could have this much of an impact that we've had. I, I'll agree. And, and I, I know I've brought this up before, and I was going to say this with Travis. I just couldn't find a way to slip it in. But, you know, there's, there's I think the older we get, um, the more we don't take life for granted as much as we did when we were younger. Yep. There's going to be a time when that's the last time we climb up in that deer stand. There's going to be a time that's the last turkey we hear gobble. There's going to be a time that we sit down here and it's going to be the last time we put these headphones on. Yep. So we never know. But um, We get caught up in the hustle and bustle of life. And, you know, like I made mention on, on social media, my buddy Paul up in up in uh, Maine, he's he's fighting for his life right now, and he's on death's doorstep. It's it's just coming for him, and he's, he's not going to be with us that much longer. But he always said that, if he could walk one more time down by a river and he would just cry everything he had in him to cry out, he would he would feel the love of God around him and he would be able to appreciate that moment and all the world will be right. And Jennifer, his daughter, called me today um, and, and made mention that they had pinned him with his, his purple heart from Vietnam. He really? never got that. 32 really? years and they never did a pinning ceremony for him. And they came and did a pinning ceremony. And I've, I've got the video of it and I'm – not going to share it for privacy, of course, but um, they pinned him with his purple heart, and he was he was laying there, and and she sent me a picture of him, and he was so excited to get that, and just his love for family, God in this country, is is what's carried him through all these years, and he's he's always told me as he got off phone, he 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 never had a son, but I'm sure he's had a lot of guys and young boys that have came along that he's influenced, but he always told me, he said, I love you, son. Every time he got off the phone with me, and the other day he was able to get the phone close to him and and say that. And really? Yeah. And it, Jennifer said he hadn't said ten words hardly. And, and I mean, but he's able to talk a little bit right now. And but he's 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 not going to be here much longer. And I'm just so thankful for those moments that I was able to talk with him and everything else. So that's yeah. been a been a lot of been a lot of things on there. But you can uh, you can definitely go over and find Travis on all the social media pages. You can find him on uh, T-Bone at Outdoors on uh, Instagram. You can find him on the Bone Collector, and uh, I, I, I wish Travis had been able to do that, And but we'll uh, we'll plug it for him. Yep. Um, and if you're not following along with the Bone Collector guys, Nick and Waddell and T-Bone, I don't know what you're doing because right. you're under a rock somewhere if you and don't my, know who those guys yeah, are. Yeah, most of our listeners probably do know who you know those guys are, so – it was uh it's good to have him on, man. It's good to talk to him. Like you said, it's been a long time coming and 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 it's you know, I wanted to get him on over there at the show as much as we all did. But for him to um for him to recognize that, that little that boy Logan was over there talking with us, sharing his moment on that truck, that's just that's just another thing that's special about T Bone. So Yeah, T Bone is one of those guys that, you know, will continue to grow as the as the years as a as a figment of the outdoor industry in a positive way, you're you're just never going to – he will. He will stand there. If a guy walks up with his phone mm-hmm. with a six-pointer, he said, look at what I killed this year. Travis will stand there and t- listen to that story because he wants to genuinely hear that story because he enjoys it, just like being around a campfire. I think he does miss that a lot. 
Hard as hard as woodpeckers beak. <laughs> Tickle me. Poor old Nick's living under a bridge culvert. <laughs> so, um, what else you got, buddy? I don't have anything else, Nick. You know, it's been a been an emotional week. I know we we said goodbye to Tony and um, you know paid our last respects to him, and um, I'm thankful for that morning that we were able to share and hear uh, how thankful he is, and and you know we spent a lot of fun with him over the years, and. Definitely want to think about everyone in our community um, that's that's faced with hard times right now. We've got friends we've known our entire life, um, the Lusk family, and, and the loss of uh, loss of their father. And there's a there's a lot of families around here that are they're going through hard times. And I think it'd do you good at night just to sit down and, and say a little prayer for them. I know it does me a lot of good in the mornings when I try to wake up. That's my that's my reflection time, and I I've got away from it the last week or so, and. Um, I, I want to get back to that because I'll get up in the mornings and just realize how thankful I am, and it makes for a better day for me. Well, everybody hasn't heard Watson on here lately. Watson's been a busy man. He has a lot he, of traveling. He's actually tra- hunting right now. He's on a big hunt right now, and I hope he sticks one. So hopefully we'll be hearing about that shortly. Nah, we better hear from it. He <laughs> needs to get his butt back over here and get back on with us. It's getting, <laughs> getting long-winded for me and you, but – I wouldn't have it any other way. But for everybody here at Talk About It Outdoors, we want to thank everyone for tuning into this amazing episode. Travis T. Bone Turner, we want to thank you. We want to thank everybody over at the Bone Collector team for continuing to drive the positive influence in the outdoor industry the way that you do. Keep it up. We love watching it. We love hearing it. And uh, if you haven't already, go over our social media pages and check out what we got going on there. We'd love to have you. Leave a review on Apple if you can. we got a lot of exciting things coming up in the next few weeks. But um, as it goes, remember, smile as you go, and don't forget, mount the memories.